Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to 1 Samuel chapter 15, the book of 1 Samuel chapter 15. We continue our study through the Old Testament. Now, here we are in chapter 15, but remember what's been going on. You know, under the leadership of King Saul, where we see Israel at war and we do see victory. But we also see certain things in the life of Saul and it trickles to the people, but we see certain things that are just off. We're not operating optimally. Remember, we see things that King Saul, these behavior traits and decisions that he makes that are not just off and indicative of carnality unto himself, but we see it trickle down to the people and how it impacts the people. Remember last week? Last week in our study in chapter 14, when the people, they were straight up eating blood. You see, Israel became defiled. And remember, leadership matters. But then as much as we see Israel, that is, you know, Israel who is not in good, like not in good hands with Saul. But we have to remember, this is the king that they wanted. They have exactly what they wanted. Remember, we're in the judges era when everyone was doing right in his own eye. Everybody was doing right in their own eye. And when the Lord became forgotten, remember the judges era. And here Israel They have exactly what they wanted. And supposing that things would be okay, supposing that they were in the right, surely the Lord is with us. Surely the Lord is with us because we're the elect, you see? And we can look at what's happening here in the Old Testament and think like, wow, you know, that's, that's terrible for Israel. But don't forget, you know, it is terrible, but don't forget Christians do it too. Christians do it too. And this is what the flesh and the carnal nature, it's what they do to a person. The threat of carnality unto believers walking according to the flesh and being carnally minded and how it can easily and quickly escalate to a level, a level that it only serves to harden hearts and it can trickle to people. It can trickle into a body, a trickle into a church, you see, and that's not a good thing. We see in Corinth. Within a body of believers, we see it in Corinth. We see it in Galatia in applying a carnal understanding. We see it in individuals, remember, Demas and Jimenez. You see, Abraham and Lot. Abraham and Lot, where Lot, he looks and he beholds and he sees the lushness of the land and says, you know what, I'm going to go over there where it's nice and green, everything is looks so lush and it's going to be good for me and I'm going to go over there. But look what happened in the life of Lot. Look what happened to his wife. Look what happened to his daughters. When at the very onset of his decision, it seemed right to him. And so here in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, we look at Israel and we can see things aren't turning out so well for them. But from the very onset of their decision, it seemed right to them. They wanted a king. And for King Saul, we know that his rule, it's going to be short-lived. You see, remember, we learned that in chapter 13. But it's also extremely important to understand how the Lord works in the marathon of Saul, in the marathon of Israel, and in our marathon, your marathon and my marathon. Now, if you haven't listened to our study yet, it's called the marathon. If you haven't listened to that yet, make sure you go and you listen to that study called the marathon. Because we have to understand God's tremendous, tremendous love, his grace, his mercy, 
and how he pleads with the people directly and indirectly through his vessels, how he pleads with the people, come back to me, come back to me, saith the Lord. We have to remember these things and understand if you haven't listened to the study called the marathon, listen to it. It's very important. And so with these things in mind, we begin our study here in chapter 15. First Samuel chapter 15. First Samuel chapter 15, verse one. Samuel, remember Samuel's the prophet. Samuel the prophet. Samuel also said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Now, again, I cannot stress this enough. I cannot stress it enough. Make sure you listen to the study called the marathon. Because what's happening, there are certain doctrines that that make what God is doing here. It makes it seem like he's toying with the people. Like it's all a setup job. And by his divine will, the sovereign God does what he does. So if you haven't done so yet, make sure you listen to the study called the marathon. Very important. And so here, Samuel the prophet, he's telling King Saul to heed the words of the Lord. In verse 2, we see, thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now, you see, even the Amalekites, even the Amalekites have a marathon because Amalek's ambush of Israel That was a long time ago. You know, on this particular timeline of where we're at in 1 Samuel chapter 15, we're talking hundreds of years ago. And for the Amalekites, all this time has passed since that ambush. All this time has passed. Opportunity given for them to make a choice. You know, do do we remain in our camp or do we yield to the most high and jump ship? In order to be, you know, in order to be grafted into the camp of Israel, you see, remember old man Moses, old man Moses, when he's speaking to Israel, you know, he says, you know, you're gonna enter the land, but it's not because you're awesome, it's not because you're awesome, because you guys, you are a stiff-necked people. He says it is because of the wickedness of these peoples, you see, and if you're listening and you're not a believer presently. The same choice is for you as well. Just like the Amalekites. The Amalekites, you know, do we remain Amalekites? Or would you say, hey, look, you know, as Amalekites, we have our gods. We have this God that we worship. We have this God that we worship. But oh my goodness, our gods can definitely, they can't do what the God of Israel does. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He can't part the sea. He can't destroy Egypt. And so we say, okay, as Amalekites, hey, I'm I'm hitting the eject button. I'm out. And then you and me, as former Amalekites, we say, hey, we're done with Amalekites. The the, the gods that we have, hey, their gods are powerless. Yeah, they have power, but compared to the Most High, compared to him, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, powerless. So we jump ship and we traverse the land and then we find the camp of Israel. And Israel, in their law, in the law of Israel, the law of Moses, given to Moses by God to give to the people, you know, you know, welcome the Gentile. So here we are, we're approaching the camp of Israel and we're not like, you know, shot with arrows. No, you know, what is your business? You know, state your business. And we say, hey, we're Amalekites and we jump ship. We left the the camp of Amalekites. We left our, our hometown. And the reason why is because we know that your God is the most high. 
and we want to worship him. Because, yeah, we have our gods and we have those, but they're nothing. Compared to your God? No, they're nothing. And so we deny those things and we leave those things and we left and we come to worship your God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And in the law, in the law, it is written, they welcome us in. And then we are grafted into the camp of Israel. You see? And so if you're listening, you're not a believer, it's the exact same today. Do you remain in your present camp or do you jump ship and do you get grafted into another camp? And this is a camp that is not according to the flesh, but it is of the Holy Spirit. Very important to understand that the Old Testament interprets the new, the new interprets the old. And then we see, wow, what the Lord has put in place many, many, many moons ago, what the Lord has put in place and made a way so that you can have intimacy with him, the most high, you see, according to the spirit. Those who worship the father worship in spirit and in truth. You see? So if you're listening, you're like, wow, you know what? I have my Buddhas, you know, I'm not religious, so, you know, I'm agnostic. And, you know, I do my Ouija boards and I do my crystals and all these things. And you're thinking like, wow, you know what? Those things are powerless. Those things are powerless. And you want to jump ship and align yourself to the most high? Listen, God wants that too. And he's the one who made a way so that you can have that. And so if that's you, you hit pause, you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ, you commit your life to Christ, you come back, you listen, and we journey together. We continue in our studies together. Very important. If that's you, you want to commit your life to Christ right here, right now, do so. Hit pause and then listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. What a lot of doctrines do here in this passage in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, they look at the Amalekites and then they think, oh, you know what? Kill them all. Kill them all. The Amalekites. And there's relative truth to that because the Lord does address the sin of the Amalekites. But we can't forget the mercy and grace that's extended to them in this allotment of time. This span of time that's been given to them to make this choice. You see, even the Amalekites have this marathon because the ambush of, the Amal of Amalek, that was hundreds of years ago, you see? And now here we are in chapter 15 on the timeline of 1 Samuel. Here we are in chapter 15. And since they decided to not get right with God during the hundreds of years allotted to them, now... The door of mercy and grace is closing, you see. It's the same for us today. The exact same for us today. When the wrath of God begins to befall the earth, as prophesied, things that we read about in the book of Revelation, when the and other passages too, Old Testament and New Testament, prophecies of a future event and future events. But when the wrath of God starts to manifest and not on individuals because that happens you know that's romans one but when the wrath of god is manifest and it's across the globe the sin of that era it's gonna be at full peak full peak i mean we can look at sin today which is egregious and know that it's gonna amplify but at the same time 
when sin is at its full peak and God's wrath is pouring out. An accounting will be required for the sin of 2010, the sin of 1980, the sin of 1950, the sin of 1875, the sin of 1640. And God remembers all of it. All of it. The sin of individuals and the sins of peoples and the sin of nations. There's only one way. There's only one way for sin to be completely forgotten. There's only one way. Completely forgotten. Sin. And that's through the blood of Jesus. It's through the blood of Jesus. I mean, here in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, an accounting is required upon Amalek. But at the same time, it was for something. It was for hundreds of years ago. You see, sin remembered. And all this time, the hundreds of years, this marathon of the Amalekites, they had a choice to make. You see? Very important to understand what the Word of God teaches. And so if you're listening and you're like, well, you know what? I never, I never put it together like that or never understood it like that. And you didn't heed the call to repent and receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. Hey, if that's you, hit pause. Listen to the message. You to commit your life to Christ. You commit your life to Christ. Right now, right here, right now. Commit your life to Christ. Or if you're a believer and you've been playing games with the Lord, hey, hit pause and listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And for you, you recommit your life to Christ. Don't play games with the Lord. No more playing games with the Lord. And so here for the Amalekites, the door of grace and mercy, it's closing. And look what Samuel says in verse 3. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both men and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. You see, this is heavy. This is very heavy. And a lot of times people think, you know, how could a loving God do such a thing? How could a loving God do such a thing? And many pastors today who have no business at the pulpit, many pastors today, they say, well, God is sovereign. God is sovereign and he destroys people because he loves only the elect. You see? And then the, the people who are destroyed, they glorify God in their destruction. That's what pastors say. So-called pastors. They have no business at the pulpit. And believers, Christians, hear this. And they're terrified. And what happens is that Christians get bullied into a false doctrine. And this false doctrine is called Calvinism and Reformed Theology. But those are the dogmas of fools. Theories of the blind. And even the non-believers hear it. You know, the, the, the non-elect glorify God by their destruction. And the non-believer says, hey, I, I want nothing to do with this. I thought God was supposed to be a God of love. And, you know, uh, this guy, this pastor is saying that the non-elect glorify God by their destruction. Hey, you know what? That's not, you know, every time I always hear God is love, God is love, God is love. And this this guy wants to say that? And the non-believer says, hey, I'm out. And listen, if that's you, if you're a non-believer and you hear Christians saying that, that the non-elect glorify God by their destruction, and you hear the Calvinists or the Reformed theology people speak, the pastors, and even the laymen, you hear them speak and say such things, listen, that's a good thing. If you want nothing to do with that, that's a good thing. That's a good thing to want nothing to do with that. 
And if this is you, you hear Christians speak in this manner, that the depraved are destroyed and they glorify God in their destruction. You hear that and you want nothing to do with it? Listen, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. But let me tell you something. Don't blame God on their account. Don't blame God because of them. They're the ones who twist the scriptures. And I have this conversation with non-believers all the time. You know, if God is a God of love, then why is this? And why, 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 why does he predestine people to hell? And to have a conversation and say, hey, listen, you know what? You, you want nothing to do with that? That's good. But don't blame God for that doctrine. Don't blame God for, you know, that theory on what these people say, because they're the ones who twist the scriptures. But the scripture still remains. It still remains the real scripture. And it's true that the, the path of the depraved, it does, it's very true that it does lead to destruction. But the Bible also says that God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. You see? Just like the Amalekites. And when we say hundreds of years, this is close to 400 years. And all this time, they had all this time to say, hey, you know what? The, the, the gods that we have, the Amalekite gods, hey, they're nothing compared to the Most High. They have all this time to jump ship and be grafted into the camp of Israel. They have all this time. And it does happen. In the, in the Old Testament, we do see passages where that does happen. Remember, like, like Jethro, you see? Jethro and you know, sometimes you see it with uh, Rahab as well, former prostitute. And she says, hey, you know what? I I'm, I'm done with our gods. I'm done with my lifestyle. And hey, I'm, I'm, I'm joining the camp of Israel. And praise be to the Lord. You see? Because it's very true that there is, you know, with depravity, that pathway to depravity, it, it ends in destruction. But the destruction isn't now. Because God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. And it's so beautiful to have these conversations with the non-believers. And sometimes even the self-proclaimed Satanists. And sometimes I have these conversations with Satanists. And they hate God. They can't stand God. And they hate Christians. But to sit down and have this conversation. Well, it's it's, it, it's kind of, you know... It, it, it's a little uh, harsh in words at first, from their end. A lot of ex expletives, you know, like, I, I hate expletive this, I hate expletive that. But to have these conversations and sit down and say, listen, you hate. What you hate is not the God of the Bible. What you hate is not the God of the Bible. And so in that, I can agree. But the God of the Bible still needs to be reconciled. You unto him. And at that point, a person can say, well, you know what? I want nothing to do with him. Okay, then that person makes his or her choice. But a lot of times when I have these conversations, people say, I've never heard it like that before. You see, I've never heard it like that before. 
And it is very true that, you know, walking in a manner of the flesh and the carnal nature and even depravity and getting worse and worse. And we can see it in our culture today. But at the same time, for a person to understand like, wow, you know, I can jump ship right here, right now. I can jump ship right here, right now. Yes, you can. You see? God is long-suffering. Long-suffering for you. I mean, if you're not a believer, if you're a non-believer, you're listening, God is long-suffering for you. Remember, He's the one who made the way. He's the one who sent His only begotten Son. He's the one. Because He wants you to believe. You see? He wants intimacy with you. He wants to have that with you. But it's the sin that separates people from him. And so he sent his only begotten son. You see? Not willing that any should perish. And so he made the way. And so we look at this mercy and grace that's allotted to Amalek. A time period for the people to be right with the Lord in their marathon. The marathon of Amalek. But we have to reflect and remember, what about our marathon? What about your marathon? If you're a believer, if you're non-believer, what about your marathon and the choices that you make in the day-to-day? -day? You see? And I say these things to you myself as a formerly depraved person. And what I did is I jumped ship from the path of the depraved. You see? I tell you these things from experience. And so now here in chapter 15, we see the word of the Lord unto King Saul given by Samuel the prophet. Hey, destroy the Amalekites. But I want to present something else to you. What about when the Amalekites, what about when they represent a type of sin or a stronghold of a type of sin? Something that's persisted, a desire of the flesh that's persisted, be it sex, drugs, alcohol, extortion, it's persisted in the life of a believer. And yet the word of God speaks, utterly destroy it. You see? And Christians do it all the time. Christians do it all the time. Oh, it's not whiskey, but it's my, it's my little baby shibli. It's my little shibli. It's not whiskey. It's not the hard stuff. It's just a nice Shibli, a nice pairing for my dinner. Oh, it's not like I'm physically with a prostitute, but I still want to watch my dirty movies. You see? Oh, it's not like I'm robbing banks or anything, but I still want to do my, my, my extortion. You see? It's not like I'm worshiping Satan or anything, but you know, I still want to go to my hot yoga class. I still want to do my little sun salutation, my little downward fool. You know, I still want to do my yoga. You see, when we look at the Old Testament and observe Israel according to the flesh, we can see these similarities in the life of a believer. Bondage of Egypt, freedom, passage through water, baptism. But in the Old Testament, do we then see freedom to endure? You see, the wilderness. Remember our study in Numbers? Do we see freedom? We don't. Because there are things that happen. External and internal. Internal impetus. External impetus. 
that reveal another type of bondage. You see? It's like, wow, you know, we're, we're out of Egypt. We're out of Egypt. No more bondage. No more bondage. But then we look at the wilderness. And we look internally. You see another type of bondage. You see? And we also see another type of freedom. Very important to understand. Another type of freedom. Something that is fulfilled by the law and the prophets. And this freedom is in Christ. The very thing that the law points to. The very things that the prophets wrote about and spoke about. You see? And it's so beautiful what the Lord put in motion many, many moons ago. And so Samuel speaks. And look what happens here in verse 4. So Saul, so prophet Samuel speaks. And look what happened in verse 4. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telaim. 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. You see? Ten years ago on this timeline, you know, on this particular timeline of chapter 15, the book of Samuel, for Samuel. If we were to go back in time ten years ago, You see, much better it would have been for the Amalekites to jump ship and abandon the ways of the Amalekites. Much better it would have been. But now here we are in chapter 15 and it's too late because judgment has arrived. And this final message is extended to the Kenites. Hey, jump ship. Jump ship because judgment has come to the Amalekites and for you Kenites, hey, jump ship. And what did the Kenites do? They jumped ship. You see? So the Kenites jumped ship, but even the Kenites still have a choice to make in their marathon. You see? Very important. Again, I can't stress it enough. If you haven't listened to that study called the marathon, make sure you do so. And so we see here in verse 7. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people, but Saul and the people, but Saul and the people, in verse 9, but Saul and the people spared Agag. And the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything, everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. You see, verse 9, this is a loaded verse. This is a very loaded verse. Remember last week's study where Israel was starving, but they didn't eat. They didn't eat by order of King Saul, you see, the king that they desired. It seemed right to them to desire a king of the flesh, you see. And the order of the king is something that's taken very, very seriously as a result of the king's order last week. Remember, Israel was consuming blood. They became defiled. And so here we are in chapter 15 here. 
And we see the beginning here in verse 9. Saul and the people. But by whose order were things to be spared? Remember, it's the Lord who says, utterly destroy them, everything. So who gave the order? Who gave the order to not obey the Lord? And if no one gave the order, who said nothing when they when the things were spared? You see, leadership matters. Leadership matters. And for Christians today, the Bible does say, hey, submit to the pastor because they watch out for your soul. But listen, that can't be said of just any person that calls themselves a pastor. No way. No way. Has to be the right pastor. Because submission to the wrong pastor, it can lead to idolatry, leaven, judgment, and possibly even hell. You see, the Bible tells us what to look for. It's very true. Yes, submit to the pastor because they watch out for your soul. But the Bible tells us who is qualified. You see, very important to understand. Go and listen to our pastoral studies. It's there for you so that you can understand we look at verse 9 here, knowing that last week too, that Israel's obedience to King Saul, it's very strong, very strong. But it also has devastating consequences because we see here in verse 9 that obedience to their king is disobedience to God. Remember last week, you know, obedience to the command of King Saul, disobedient to the Lord because now they're defiled. Remember, they ate the blood. And so here in verse 9 of chapter 15, we see something almost the same in terms of disobedience. They obey the king, but they disobey the Lord because what happened? They did not utterly destroy as the Lord said. So what do they keep? What is it that they keep? Verse 9 says, all that was good. That's what they spared. But notice, everything despised and worthless, that they destroyed. And it's the Lord who says, hey, destroy everything. All of it. I'll give you an example. Say, for example, there's a guy who sells crack. Okay, he's, he's a drug dealer. Say there's a guy who sells crack. And he nets $5 from the deal. He nets $5. So he has he's, he's $5 richer. He sells crack and he, he nets $5. And the Lord says, hey, get rid of it. It's dirty money. Repent and be clean. And so what does the guy do? The guy gets rid of it. The guy gets rid of it, repents, and he's clean. Praise the Lord. It's a good thing. But say, for example, the guy sells crack. And it's not $5. He sells crack, and he nets $5 million from the deal. $5 million. Do you think the Lord is going to change his counsel? Oh, because it's five million, okay, then now it's permissible. No, it's the same. Get rid of it. It's dirty money. Repent and be clean. And so now in this example, the guy has a choice to make. You know, with five dollars, it's easy because it's just five bucks. I'm not, not to not to say five dollars is nothing, but compared to five million, you know, five dollars has very minimal value. The guy has a choice to make. And with $5, it does come with greater ease because, yeah, he'll take a financial hit because, you know, 
a five dollar, you know, minus five dollars, he he will take a financial hit. But you know, it's just five dollars. Like you know, he'll just skip his his latte. He'll skip his latte, and he's you know, no big deal, no latte today. You see, but five million. Look what the guy can do. Five million. He can get a new house, new car, and not just a new house, probably a nice house. Not just a new car, probably a nice car. Get new clothes, new lifestyle, radically changed lifestyle. Nice bank account. You know, five million. Break up with his old girlfriend, get a new one, divorce his wife, and get the so-called new and improved. Greener grass, a better life, new house, new car, a boat. And according to the flesh, according to the flesh, the argument can be made. According to the flesh. But the five million, it's still dirty money. It's still dirty money. Five dollars, piece of cake. No biggie. Skip my latte. Five million? You see, the five million can absolutely be a piece of cake. Absolutely, it can be a piece of cake. But it rarely is. And that's what we see here in verse 9. Because what is it that's considered good and what is it that's considered worthless? These are things that are worlds apart from those obedient and those disobedient. You see? Because someone could look at this crack example and be like, oh yeah, $5 piece of cake, I don't want it. And then another person could say, yeah, $5, hey, I don't want it, dirty money. But then when it's $5 million, one person can say, hey, it's dirty money. I don't want it. But another person can say, hey, that's five million. You know what I can do with that? What is considered good and worthless, it's worlds apart from obedience and those disobedient. And Israel here, they're keeping. They're keeping what they deem to be good. And that's one thing. But that's one aspect of things, to keep what they deem to be good. That's one aspect. But understand, it's disobedience to the Lord. Another aspect is, who gave the order to disobey the Lord? You see? And if the order wasn't given, who was it that wasn't the stopgap? Who was it that said nothing? You see? Because the Lord says, destroy it all. Destroy it all. And the people, they say, well, you know what? This looks pretty nice. I think I'm going to keep this. Just like, the, just like the crack example. $5 piece of cake. I don't want it. $5 million? Very few would say $5 million. Hey, I don't want it. Very few people would say that. You know, Paul, Chloe, Timothy, Lydia, Priscilla. Very beautiful people. Old Testament and New Testament. Very few people will say, hey, I don't want it. Because it's dirty money. It doesn't honor the Lord. But you know how many people will say, hey, you know what? I can do a lot with five million. New house, new boat, new car. Hong Kong. Vroom, vroom. A nice car. A lot of people. They'll be like, you know, five dollars piece of cake. But the five million? 
very important to understand. And so in verse 10, Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, in verse 11, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. I greatly regret, verse 11, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. And a lot of times here, people think intimacy with God is, you know, the daffodils and raindrops and kittens, you know. They think intimacy with God is like, oh, this is so beautiful. And, you know, the raindrops and kittens. And listen, it absolutely is a beautiful thing. 100% intimacy with the Lord is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. But let me tell you something. It hurts. It also hurts. Because you will be long-suffering. You will be long-suffering. When you have intimacy with the Lord, you will be long-suffering because He is long-suffering. When you have intimacy with the Lord, it's going to hurt. It's very beautiful. Very, very beautiful. But it also hurts. Remember Samuel the prophet? Samuel, several chapters ago, To be so hurt by the will of the people, to be so hurt that he felt that rejection. And it's the Lord in his intimacy with the Lord. It's the Lord who told him, hey, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. That's how intimate they were together, Samuel and the Lord. And it's so beautiful for Samuel to have that intimacy. It's so beautiful. But don't forget, it still hurt Samuel. And it still hurts Samuel here. In this intimacy that they have, God and Samuel, the Lord reveals in verse 11 that his regret is with King Saul. And this is another area where false doctrines commit idolatry. Yes, idolatry. Because what happens is they create a God in their own image, lowercase g. They create a God in their own image and they create their idol as bipolar or schizophrenic even. And their idol has multiple wills. And their idol, they say, well, you know, lowercase g, they have, they say, well, you know, he has, you know, there's, there's, uh, 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 there's his perfect will. And then there's his uh, uh, dispositional will and his efficacious will. You see, these are things that we see. These false doctrines, they create these multiple wills of God and they make them bipolar or schizophrenic. There's his perfect will. There's his permissive will. There's his perceptive will, his dispositional will, his efficacious will. Or there's his prothesis will, his bulamai will, his thilo will, or his dilemma will. And their idol they call sovereign. And they worship him. It's very important. Very, very important. I cannot stress it enough. Make sure you listen to the study called the marathon. Very important. And in this marathon of Saul, confines of choice, there's great opportunity for God to be honored. And we've seen moments where God is honored, and that's a good thing. But there's also opportunity for God to be dishonored. And we see God sharing his regret with Samuel, 
prophet of the Lord. He says, I regret that I made him king. I regret it. And we see in verse 11, I greatly regret that I've set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. You see, it's just like the Amalekites. Just like the Amalekites in their marathon, so does Saul. So does Israel. So does Samuel. So does Timothy. So does Pharaoh. So does Chloe. So does Korah. So does Hannah. So does Eli. So does Himenaeus. So does Peter. And so do you. And we see King Saul. He started out well. He started out well. But the starting line is the starting line. The starting line is the starting line. And there is a path to be traveled in order to finish well. You see? God and Samuel, the prophet. God and Samuel, in this beautiful intimacy, the Lord is revealing his regret to Samuel in verse 11. And it grieved Samuel, we see. In verse 11, it grieved Samuel. And he cried out to the Lord all night. All night. Listen, if you're a pastor or you desire to be a pastor, don't expect to sleep. Don't expect to sleep. Because what's going to happen? You're going to read your Bible. You're going to pray. You're going to teach people. You're going to pour into people. You're going to protect people, you know, from the wolves. You're going to counsel people. You're going to intercede for people. You're going to pray even more and more for people. And you're going to cry out to the Lord all night long. And that's the fight of the pastor. But at the same time, people still have their own choice to make in their marathon. And so we see here in verse 12 or, you know, verse 11, Samuel, it's Samuel's grieving. Look at that intimacy. Beautiful, beautiful intimacy. Now, intimacy with the Lord. Is it, you know, daffodils and, you know, mittens and kittens? Yeah, there's an aspect of that with intimacy. But there's also the pain. Samuel's grieving. Samuel's grieving. He cries out to the Lord all night. And in verse 12, so when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, notice what's happening. A presumed victory in battle because the Amalekites, they're defeated. The Amalekites are defeated. But how? How? The Amalekites are defeated. There's the appearance of their defeat. There's the appearance of King Saul's victory. But it's outside of the very specific blueprints as given by the Lord through the prophet Samuel. And so Samuel, the prophet, he's been crying all night to the Lord. He rises early in the morning and he wants to have, he wants to have a little chat. He wants to have a little chat with King Saul. And so we see in verse 12 that Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul. It was told Samuel saying, Saul went to Carmel and indeed he set up a monument for himself. Very interesting what we see. Very interesting. Remember the behavior traits? We've been seeing it for several chapters now. Certain behavior traits that we just, we, it's just off in King Saul. Like, wow, that, for, that's just off. According to the ways of righteousness, that's just off. Now we could add more to that list. 
But yeah, and, oh, you know, you know, Samuel coming to town. You know, where's where's the king? Where's the king? Oh, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed, you know, he set up a monument for himself. It's like okay, that's that's a little off, and we just okay. And that the list, okay, it's the the checklist. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger of things that are just off, and it reveals a carnal nature. So we see in verse 12, he set up a monument for himself and he has gone, he has gone on around, passed by and gone down to Gilgal. Verse 13, then Samuel went to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed or so, prophet Samuel, he goes to King Saul and King Saul says to him, blessed are you of the Lord. Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Wow. Even the words that the king speaks, even King Saul's words, it sounds awfully righteous. Blessed are you of the Lord. It sounds righteous. And then he says that he's done the commands of the Lord. Notice what he, he's saying that he's obedient. You and me, you and me, we're on the inn. We know what's happened. We know it's He says, oh yeah, here in verse 13, I have performed the commands of the Lord. But you and me, we know, hey, no, he didn't. We're on the inn. He's speaking Christianese, if you will. He's speaking Christianese. You know, blessed are you of the Lord. It sounds nice and holy. He says he's obedient. But you and me on the inn, we know, hey, far from it, king. Because we know he's disobedient. So Samuel the prophet hears the king's greeting and, you know, does he respond with the niceties? Oh, hello, king. Hello, king. It's good to see you, king. King Saul says that he's performed, he's, he's done the commands of the Lord. Okay. Verse 14, but Samuel said, what then? What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen, which I hear? See, if, if King Saul was truly obedient, the lowing and the bleeding, the oxen and the sheep wouldn't even be a factor. We wouldn't even hear those things. Can you imagine, you know, Samuel's there and, you know, King Saul is there. Oh, blessed are you of the Lord. I've been obedient to the Lord. But in the background, you hear the moo, you hear the animals, you hear the baa of the sheep. You hear it and it's like, you're saying you're obedient. Then what, what is this I hear in my ear? You see, they wouldn't even be a they, they would have been destroyed as the Lord commanded. So you, we see what's happening here and you might think, well, you know, this is the Old Testament. It's okay because I'm a new covenant believer. Hey, listen, same, 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 because it happens in the church. It happens in the church. You know, speaking Christianese, having a presumed obedience you hear believers say it all the time. Oh, I am crucified with Christ. And they do cite a biblical passage. Hey, I'm crucified with Christ. But does the verse apply to every believer? I am crucified with Christ. It cannot be applied to every single believer. The answer is no. Because Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. A person says, I'm crucified with Christ. I'm crucified with Christ. Okay. What's up with the crack? 
What's up with the sex? What's up with the whiskey? Crucified with Christ? Okay. What's up with the Buddha? What's up with the Ouija boards? Those who are crucified with Christ have reckoned the old man dead. They have reckoned the old woman dead. Very important to understand what the Word of God teaches. These are holy matters. Very, very specific blueprints. Very easy, but very intricate. Very intricate. Remember, the Lord says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You look around, you look at Christians like, wow, you know that? Looks like a heavy burden. Looks like a heavy burden. You know what that means? They're doing it wrong. No effectuation. Why do they have no effectuation? Who's their pastor? You see? Where was the effectuation in Corinth? You see? Then you look at the pastors. There you go. Bingo. Defunct. Paul even says, regarding communion, regarding communion, that when the formula in a person is wrong and they partake of communion, Paul says, it is written, captured in Scripture, inspired of the Holy Spirit, that many are weak, sick, and some have died. You see? Formula. It's got to be right. You and me. And don't forget, we have the helper, the Holy Spirit, the Paracletus, who helps us. And if you're listening and you're realizing that you've been playing games with the Lord or you're realizing that you're lukewarm, yes, that is a bad thing. It's not good. But let's get you cleaned up. Let's get you cleaned up. Now, if you're listening, you're realizing like, oh my goodness, I've been playing games with the Lord. Hey, hit pause. Listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And what you do, you recommit your life to Christ. Don't be lukewarm. Don't play games with the Lord. Don't be lukewarm. But let's get you cleaned up. You come back, you listen, we journey together. We grow together because we're going to paradise. And so here in chapter 15, Samuel, he hears the sheep and the oxen in verse 15. And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. You see, again, what is the king doing? He's playing the blame game. Instead of saying, I gave the order, or instead of saying, when I saw it, you know, I, you know, I, I corrected them. Instead of saying that, he's trying to shift the blame. They did it. In verse 15, and Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen. The people did that. He's playing the blame game. And then look what the king does now. He tries to make it sound nice and holy. Oh, Samuel, my intentions were good. Oh, Samuel, my heart was in the right place. It wasn't me. The people, they kept the animals, but it was, you know, but, but it was for a good purpose. Look what he says here in verse 15. He says that they, they spared, it was for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God and the rest we have utterly destroyed. It was to sacrifice. Remember, what animals were destroyed? The ones that were deemed worthless, those were the ones that were destroyed. But then it begs another question. Who's doing the deeming? Who's doing the deeming? And it's the people. The people who forsook the Lord and wanted a king. What do you think is right in their eyes? Straight up, what do you think is right in their eyes? 
Remember what both Testaments teach, old and new, that a little leaven leavens the bunch. What do you think is right in their eyes? And King Saul, he makes it sound holy. Oh, we did it to sacrifice to the Lord. And he says, the Lord, your God. He doesn't say, the Lord, my God, or the Lord, our God. He says, no, the Lord, your God. What we're watching here in real time with King Saul is his transition. He's transitioning into apostasy. Remember, the spirit of the Lord was upon him. Several chapters ago, the spirit of the Lord was upon him. And what he's been doing, he's been quenching the Holy Spirit. Something the Bible says, don't do. He's been quenching the Holy Spirit. And quenching, when you look at the Greek translation, quenching is extinguishing. And that's when what Saul is doing. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse. Now the prophet speaks in verse 16. Then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet, exclamation point. I like Samuel. I'm so in love with Samuel. People might say, you know, Samuel, show respect. You know, Saul is our king. That's nice. That's nice. There's no king but the Lord. Samuel says, be quiet, exclamation point. And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Remember, they have intimacy. Samuel and the Lord, cheek to cheek. Remember our study in the epistles, cheek to cheek. Samuel and the Lord, they have a very special intimacy. And Samuel says, hey, let me tell you. Let me tell you something. I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And so Saul speaks, and he said to him, speak on. Verse 17, so Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Remember, in this transition of Saul, he's in transition. He's transitioning. He's transitioning into apostasy. And in this transition of Saul, we're seeing him quench the spirit or extinguish the spirit. But we're also seeing something else. We're seeing his entry into pride. You see? In verse 18, Samuel the prophet, he's still speaking. Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Then he poses a question. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? Remember, he was doing what seemed right to him. That's all he was doing. He was just doing what seemed right to him in his own eyes. All these animals look good, so we're going to keep them. It's just like the $5 and the $5 million. Remember the example we gave with the crack? It's just like the $5 and the $5 million. Oh, $5, oh, that's easy, piece of cake. No latte. No latte. But the $5 million? Oh, no mansion, no yacht, no, you know, fancy car, you know, no, no, uh, you know, whatever, whatever people get with their five million, you know, none of that. I mean, with, you know, to, 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 to life without a latte, you know, no big deal. But then people think, wow, with five million, I can get my mansion. I can get my yacht. Wow. You know, the grass is green over here. I can ditch my girlfriend. I can ditch my wife. I can do all things. The grass is greener. Grass is greener. You see, 
And what we see here in verse 19, not obeying the Lord, it's evil. Not obeying the Lord is evil. And it truly is. And there are frightening implications to this reality. But before you get anxious about it, now sometimes young believers, it's like, well, you know what? Not obeying the Lord is evil. It's like, wait a second. Well, I made a mistake. I, 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 I walked according to the flesh and I made this decision that was carnal. Do you know, does that mean I'm going to burn in hell? Listen, don't be anxious about it. You and me, we have to know and we have to learn and we have to continue and endure you and me together. You say, wait a second, I'm just a brand new believer. Even still, you and me together, we have to walk according to the spirit and not according to the flesh. You see? Because you can tell a five-year-old, hey, you know, hey, baby girl, you know, it's dangerous to work on power lines. You can tell baby girl, you know, hey, baby girl, it's dangerous to work on power lines because, you know, you can die. You tell baby girl, hey, baby girl, you mess with the power lines, hey, you can die. You're going to get fried. And it's very true. But for baby girl to grow up and mature and be trained and be trained properly, baby girl can reach a time where she does work on the power lines. You see? And when she does grow and mature and she's trained properly and she's working on the power lines, it's still very dangerous. Just like when she was five years old. Baby girl was five years old. Listen, it's still very dangerous. But baby girl's been properly taught. She's been properly taught, properly equipped. You see? And so, you know, when I have these conversations with young believers even, like, hey, I just became a Christian. I don't understand this. It's like, okay, you know, disobedience is evil. And like, whoa, you know, am I going to burn in hell because, you know, I, you know, I, 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 I had road rage. Am I going to burn in hell? Listen, we have to learn how to walk. Just like every single baby. Just like every single baby. I mean, the baby doesn't come out of the womb and you say, you know, hey, baby, you know, go take out the trash. No, the baby has to learn how to walk. Well, the baby has to learn how to crawl. And then the walking. And then the running. You see? And it's the same for us in Christ. Remember the rugby match? Our study in Romans? Remember the rugby match? Very important to understand. We are one in Christ. But at the same time, it's like in Christ. There's a very specific formula for being and abiding in Christ. This, this is when the, when the trickers came into Galatia. When Paul was blown away, he straight up says, I'm blown away. I marvel that you're turning away so soon from Jesus. How did that happen? The tricksters came to town. The seducers came to town and they entered as spies. Remember our study in the book of Galatians? They entered as spies to bring into bondage. They had a very specific mission from their father, the devil, to bring into bondage. And people who were held in high esteem by the church and by Christians in Galatia, they were held in high esteem. These tricksters. And Paul says, hey, I don't care. I don't care who they are. I don't care about their degrees. Makes no difference to me. I don't care who they are. I don't care where they went to school. What is it that they say? What is it that they teach? You see? And not obeying the Lord is evil. But every single one of us, we have to be properly taught, properly equipped so that we can understand the covenants, 
the purpose of the covenants, the reason, the promise, effectuation, fruit, works, and faith, and faith abounding, faith growing. And these are things that take time. Just like baby girl. Baby girl's five years old. Hey, baby girl. Hey, power lines. Don't mess with the power lines. They could kill you. See, baby girl grows up. Hey, baby girl, the power lines can still kill you. But baby girl's different. Baby girl's been trained. Power lines can still kill her. But now she can work on the power lines. Why? Because she has the knowledge. She has the training. And in verse 20, we see, And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people, the people took the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Again, the blame game. The blame game. It's their fault. It wasn't me. It was them. And he doesn't say the Lord my God. He says it again. The Lord your God. You see what's happening here? And now, remember previous chapters ago, it's like, wow, that's a little off. That's a, that's a little odd that Samuel is behaving this way. Remember several chapters ago? Oh, that's, a, that's a little odd that Jonathan goes to war. He has victory in the battle and Saul takes victory. It's a little odd, is it? Okay, that's just, we'll just chalk that up to, okay, it's a little, let's carnal, more, more carnal than the average person, but that's rather carnal to, 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 to take credit for, you know, Jonathan's victory, okay. But then we just add more to the checklist, okay? I mean, if you take a checklist, and you, on one side you put carnal, and then the other side you put spirit, and it's like, wow, there's like, you know, nothing on the spirit side and every, all these check marks on the, on the carnal side, on the flesh side. And that's what we've seen so far in, you know, multiple chapters. It's like, wow, that's a little off. In the ways of righteousness, in the manner of righteousness, that's a little off for the king to say that. That's a little off for the king to behave in that way. To play the blame game, that's a little off. And so Saul says, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. You see? But you and me, we're in the know. He's disobeyed. He did not utterly destroy them. See, he's saying all these things. Oh, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Meanwhile, in the background, moo, moo, you hear the animals. And he's like proclaiming, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. In the background, moo, you know, bah. It doesn't fit. It doesn't match. You see? And so in verse 22, Sam, so Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? It's a hardcore question. And in the Hebrew, Samuel's question, it's this. Does the Lord have pleasure and delight in offerings and sacrifice? Or in obedience unto him. You see? And in verse 22 we see this. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed than the fat of rams. Now, I don't want to lord over anybody's faith. But if you have a highlighter or a pen, highlight this part of the verse. 
To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Highlight that. Underline that. And bind it to your heart. Bind it to your heart. Bind it to your mind. Bind it to your soul. And this is something that we just studied on Sunday. It just so happens. It just so happens where the scribe goes to Jesus and says, you know, acknowledges this very thing that obedience is better than sacrifice. And Jesus is the one who says to the scribe, you're not far from the kingdom. You're not far from the kingdom. And we see in verse 23, Samuel the prophet is speaking to King Saul. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Whoa, it's heavy. Because to name witchcraft and idolatry, you see, it's easy to discern as evil. Witchcraft? Oh, no way. You know, stay away from witchcraft. You know, that's easy. Idolatry? Oh, you know, stay away from, stay away from the idolatry. You know, these are easy. You know, idolatry, witchcraft, these are easy. Because we can point the finger at the witch and no, hey, I'm not going to her. Point the finger at the witch, hey, I'm not going to that guy. We can point the finger at an idol and no, hey, I'm not going to worship that. That's easy. Even though sometimes people do go to the witch, people do go to the, uh, the, the idol, but these are relative, relatively easy but what happens when we look inward? What happens when we look at the inner man, the inner woman? What happens when we look inward? Rebellion? Ouch. That hits harder. Stubbornness? It hits harder. And it's more difficult to discern because it deals with us. It deals with the inward man, the inward woman, the inward boy, the inward girl, and the inward old person. It deals with the inward. Because to look at a witch and the idol, hey, that's easy. But then to look in the mirror, it's not as easy. Not as easy. And look what Samuel says to King Saul. He says, you know, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as the iniquity of idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He also has rejected you from being king. Whoa. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. He's reactionary. He responds to obedience. He responds to disobedience. He responds to wickedness. And he also responds to repentance. Repentance. He responds to each. I can't stress it enough. I'll say it again. It's of super importance, ultra importance, that you listen to the message called the marathon. Listen to the message called the marathon because it will help you understand and it will also protect you. Very important. In verse 24, then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Even still, Saul, he's passing blame. Even still, fearing the people and obeying the people, making excuse. But let's not forget, by his own admission, he spared Agag, the king of the Amalekites. He spared Agag. And then when Samuel wanted to see the king, King Saul, when Samuel wanted to see him, 
Saul wasn't there. It was reported to Samuel, oh, no, he went in that town, in that town. You know, he's got Agag in tow. Oh, look at me, look at me. And don't forget, he set up a monument for himself. And yet we see the king here, he's trying to shift blame. Don't forget last week how Israel was defiled by the very order of the king. And I'm not trying to suggest that the king saw that he can't have forgiveness. I am not trying to suggest that he cannot have forgiveness. But when it's treated as lip service, when sin becomes habitual, let's not also forget that he's king. To whom is given, much more is required. And a lot of believers today fail to mature past adolescence in the faith. And if that, sometimes, you know, the the babies stay babies. The milk drinkers stay milk drinkers. It happened in Corinth. It happened in Galatia. And a lot of believers don't mature. Because what happens is they take advantage of God's grace and mercy without counting the cost. The cost unto oneself, the cost unto the Lord, and the cost unto the body. And saints don't mature because the overseers themselves, a lot of times, the overseers themselves have become defunct, exactly like we see in Corinth. Nothing new under the sun. Look what Saul says here in verse 25. In verse 25. Now, therefore, this is Saul, King Saul. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, Samuel the prophet said to King Saul. Sometimes I get confused. There's a little side note. Some, because it, the two S words, you know, Samuel and Saul. So sometimes, you know, it, so that's why, you know, Samuel the prophet, Samuel the prophet and Saul, King, King Saul. So, you know, Samuel the prophet said to Saul in verse 26, I will not return with you. For you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel the prophet, as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore. So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Whoa. And these are things that we're going to see down the road. We're going to see the bitterness of King Saul toward David. And David, a very, very special lineage, that of David. And as a little side note, you know, when we say that, you know, we're going to see it down the road, We'll likely study these things, you know, in the future, you know, but maybe even well into the future, you know, because, you know, what's happening in this particular ministry, the present form of this ministry, as a little side note, not to get off topic, but just so you know, we're going to change the frequency of our studies because we're going to be working with pastors on certain, for the days in which we live, preparations that have to be made pastors unto the flock of God. It's completely in response to the times in which we live. Very dangerous times. We're living in the last days. Perilous times. We are living in the last days. Things are happening. A convergence of multiple, multiple prophecies. They're coming to pass at rapid rate. 
And so we're working with pastors, helping them making these preparations for the flock. And so what happens in Samuel, the prophet Samuel continues to tell King Saul in verse 29. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent. These are prophetic words from the prophet. Because in the Hebrew, it's the splendor of Israel, but it's splendor as into the future. The splendor of Israel will not fail nor relent. For he is not a man that he should relent. Samuel, he speaks of Jesus, king of Israel. And so King Saul responds to him. In verse 30, then he said, I have sinned. Yet honor me now, please, before the the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. So does this mean that everything is fine? Does this mean that everything is fine and we go back to normal? No. It's devastating. What we're going to see in the life of Saul and how it impacts the people, how it impacts Israel, what we're going to see, it's devastating. It's painful. These are things when when Samuel was brokenhearted and, you know, like, why do you guys want a king? We have a king and it's the Lord. And then the Lord in this very beautiful intimacy, the Lord says to Samuel, hey, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And the Lord tells Samuel, give the people what they want. But before you do that, warn them. And in obedience, Samuel warned the people. And the people responded, hey, we still want our king. That's nice. You say your little piece. That's nice. We still want our king. You see? And here we are in chapter 15. And we said, last week in chapter, you know, Israel was defiled. They consumed the blood. And as sad as it is, and yes, it's very, very sad. That's the king they wanted. That's the king they desired. Rejecting the Lord as king, that's the king they desired. They're getting exactly what they want. It seemed right to them at the time, just like Lot. You know, looking over here, oh, look, the grass is greener over here. Hey, you know what? Abraham, I think I'm going to go over here. Look what happened. Look what happened to his wife. Look what happened to his daughters. You see? Very important. Very painful to see these things and understand these things. Painful today to see people today, Christians, go the way of Saul in quenching the Holy Spirit. You see? And in verse 32, then Samuel said, Bring Agag, king of the Amalekites, here to me. This is Prophet Samuel, the Prophet Samuel. Bring Agag, king of the Amalekites, here to me. So Agag came. He came. So Agag came, came to him cautiously. And Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. Pretty, a pretty bold statement. Pretty bold for Agag to say because he's captured from war. And it makes me wonder what kind of, what kind of schmoozing, what kind of schmoozing was he, was he able to do with Saul? But with Samuel, hey, that's not happening. Not happening. Surely, Agag, you know, Agag says, surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said in verse 33, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. 
Samuel the prophet hacked Agag in pieces, king of the Amalekites. You see, Saul's failure, King Saul's failure activated Samuel the prophet's response. You see, and we read this and it seems harsh and it is. You know, Samuel chopped Agag in pieces. Yes, he absolutely did. But what happens when we look at the Amalekites as a type of sin? Remember, Old Testament studies, observe Israel according to the flesh, according to the flesh, according to the flesh. And what happens when we see the Amalekites as a type of sin? Where a man says, hey, I'm free in Christ. I'm free in Christ. I have victory over crack. I have victory over Buddha. But you know what? I think I'm going to spare and keep alive the alcohol, the sex, the extortion, you see? A man's failure. Just like with, you know, just like with King Saul, his failure activated the prophet Samuel's response, and in the same manner, a man's failure can activate the wife. You see? Where the wife now steps in. You see? Not on my watch. The wife, straight up, not on my watch. Not in my home. And she, by failure of husband, destroys the computer, destroys the smartphone, destroys the TV, destroys the alcohol, de destroys the extortion, the dirty money. And the wife, by failure of the husband, makes her stand. And it's to honor the Lord. You see? And a lot of men, really boys, a lot of men get mad at me. Oh, my wife is supposed to submit to me. My wife is supposed to submit. Listen, men, let us not be stupid. Let us not be stupid. The effectuation of a wife's submission requires a husband's submission to Jesus. You see? Look at the beautiful, beautiful wife of Moses. Beautiful, beautiful Zipporah. I'm so in love with Zipporah. Because God was going to kill Moses. He was going to kill Moses because Moses broke the law. Not the Ten Commandments. Moses broke the law of circumcision given to Abraham. God was going to kill Moses. And as a result of the failure of Moses, Zipporah, she straight up said, Hey, not on my watch. Not in my house, not with my kids. She's just saying, not on my watch. And what she did, she interceded for Moses and she saved his life. She honored the Lord, but in so doing, she saved his life. You see, if Zipporah had blind submission to her husband, Moses would be dead. Moses would be dead and dead by the hand of the Lord because it's the Lord who's going to kill Moses. You see? Now, Am I suggesting that Moses and Saul, you know, Moses and King Saul, am I suggesting that they're the same? Listen, not at all. Not at all. But what I am saying is that sin lies at the door for every single one of us. But it can also die at the door. You see? It can also die at the door when you and me together, when we learn how and you, the, the, the manner of fighting, the manner of warfare, spiritual warfare, when you and me, we learn and we know and are equipped to fight, to fight the good fight. You see, very important to understand.
Now, sometimes, you know, I have these conversations with young single people so eager to get married. And listen, for my single brothers and sisters in Christ, my recommendation about marriage, it aligns with that of Brother Paul. Beautiful, beautiful Brother Paul. So as a result of King Saul's failure, it was in verse 33, it was Samuel who hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Because the Lord says, hey, destroy it all. Destroy all of them. You see? And where Saul failed, Samuel picks up. You see? Beautiful. So beautiful. And we look at this like, well, how can you say it's beautiful if you hack them in pieces? Okay, this is Old Testament rules of engagement, Old Covenant rules of engagement according to the flesh. But you and me, according to the Spirit, hey, destroy it all. You have victory over alcohol and sex and, you know, whiskey and, and drugs and all kinds of different things and Buddha and extortion. Hey, praise be to the Lord. But don't keep alive the, the, the little Ouija boards. Don't keep alive, you know, the, the yoga, the hot yoga. Hey, kill it all. Kill it all. And praise be to the Lord so that you and me together, we can be clean before the Lord. And sometimes the man, you know, oh, look, you know, I don't do the whiskey. I don't do the drugs. I don't do the crack. I don't do the Buddha. I don't do the Ouija board. But I got my sex. I got my sex. Hey, destroy it. Oh, but my computers, it's that $10,000 computer set up. It's, it's so expensive. All this. Hey, tell your wife. She, your wife has no problem hacking your computer to pieces. No problem whatsoever. And for my sisters in Christ, the married ones, be like Zipporah. Husband wants to be dumb. Okay, you know, not on my watch, not in my house, not with my kids. Honor the Lord. You see, it's to glorify the Lord. Him. Him alone. To glorify the Lord. And what he says in his word, how he teaches us. And this beautiful intimacy that we see when, 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 when Saul hurt, when, when Samuel hurts, it's reflective of the heart of the Lord. Hey, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. And Samuel all night long praying to the Lord, crying out to the Lord all night long. And, you know, King Saul, he says his little bit. And what does Samuel say? Hey, let me tell you something, King. Let me tell you what the Lord told me last night. I was praying to him. What were you doing last night, King. And not like a measurement, like, you know, you know, this is me, this, you know, comparison is the thief of joy. But at the same time, we look at the lifestyle choices of the righteous, the lifestyle choices of the fallen, and we make the distinction so that you and me can discern. The Bible says, New Testament, that these godly people are there, models for emulation, a pattern to emulate. That's what the Bible says. Look at Paul. Look at Timothy. Look at Chloe. Look at Lydia. Very beautiful, beautiful patterns for emulation. So that you and me can look at these examples of righteousness. Verse 33, or 34, Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of, uh, 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 Gibeah of Saul, and Samuel went in verse 35, and Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. 
Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. See? Is this something that Samuel the prophet, is he happy about it? Is he happy? Does Samuel come to the conclusion that, you know, well, Saul was never really Jewish. You know, King Saul, he was never really Jewish. King Saul, he's never really Hebrew. And he was never really Jewish, so he's predestined for destruction. Does he say that? He does not. He does not. And a lot of Christians today, they can rightly see the sin and the leaven, but they wrongly formulate a conclusion. Well, you know, he was never really a Christian. She was never really a Christian. And these formulated conclusions are based in false doctrines and false theologies. Because the biblical answer isn't, you know, they were never really a Christian. The biblical answer is they fell away. They transitioned, just like we see with Saul, or King Saul, they transitioned. You see? And this is something that we're going to see. It's going to happen big time in the last days, and we already see it happening. The transition. And what it is, it's a quenching of the Holy Spirit and extinguishing of the Holy Spirit. And you see Christians becoming apostate. It is happening. For such a time as this, it is happening. And for such a time as this, we can also see the remnant. And the remnant can mourn and does mourn and can long suffer exactly like our Lord. To the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.